1: All right, welcome into a special edition of the Goodman and Hummel podcast. I'm Jeff Goodman. Uh, Hummel's making it two weeks in a row, and and he's grinding it out here from his hotel room in Cincinnati before doing the TBT. So don't let anybody tell you that that Robbie Hummel's gone soft, because he is actually working here, and uh, we've got NCAA head of championships, Dan Gavitt. I don't even know what your official title is now, Dan, but we appreciate you coming on, uh, spending some time with us to to address, you know, talk about some of the big topics uh, in, in college hoops right now during the, uh, the slow time, right?
2: Yeah.
3: Well, it's great to be with you guys, and thanks for the opportunity. Always good to talk college hoops in the middle of summer. No doubt. No doubt. Keep it moving here.
1: Um, all right, let's start with kind of, to me, the biggest, especially for you, the biggest hot button topic, which is tournament expansion, right? I mean, it it went to 64 back in 85, then expanded um, in, in 2011 to what it is currently. You know, a lot of people are talking now about trying to get it to 90. I mean, listen, coaches would rather, they'd have it at 256 if they could, some of these guys. I like it the way it is, Dan. I do. But I will say this. Rob Sanderoff of Kent State had a great conversation with me recently. And I've kind of come around to here's my idea. My idea yeah. is let like the last like a play-in type deal for the last eight spots where you have eight mids, play eight highs in order to get in those final eight spots, which I think would be fascinating. And and it's always the big discussion, right? Is always, well, do you take the high major that finished Ninth in its league, or are you taking the mid-major that won its league but didn't win its its regular uh, its its league tournament? So kind of take me through your thought right now. Of I, I know you guys met uh, earlier this month, and, and the words not imminent came out with, with regards to
3: expansion. Sure. Well, yeah, the men's basketball committee and women's basketball committee both met their summer meetings last week. Men were in Las Vegas. And it was a main topic of discussion. It was on the agenda to be a summer topic. That's the annual meeting that they cover the most significant topics around the tournament. Um, Of course, you guys know this was a recommendation that came from the NCAA Transformation Committee to have as much as 25% of the number of schools that sponsor a sport have access to the NCAA championship. Uh, Julie Cromer from Ohio University and, and Greg Sankey from the SEC chaired that committee. And so there's an obligation by the committees to, to review and consider that recommendation. Of course, for basketball, that means as many as 90 teams in a tournament, um, you know, think 96, if you're going to do a round number, I, I don't know, you know, still today, uh, you know, how much appetite there is for that kind of consideration of expansion or not, but there was really good discussion last week um, at a real high level. Didn't get into a lot of detail because it was just really the first time that they had talked about expansion. Um, we're going to take this, the rest of the summer and fall into the early winter to do a much deeper dive and study what um, benefits, uh, challenges, um, even goals of expansion are. Like you know, why would you expand? Uh, what are you trying to achieve? Are you creating greater value? Is the experience for the players as good or better than it is right now? Um, so a lot of kind of high-level goals and objectives first and foremost, and then get into the details of what a format could look like and, and things like that, if if indeed there's an appetite. Um, you know, the the idea you present, Jeff, there's a lot of ideas out there, right? I mean, uh, you know, that that's an interesting one. Um, I think from a television perspective, there may be some interest in that kind of, you know, Dave and Goliath matchup, those last teams under consideration, essentially playing their way into the regular. Uh, bracket, um, but there's a lot to consider. You know, I mean, anyone that thinks it's an easy answer really doesn't understand the complexity of of the tournament and making sure that it's, um, you know, this is as, as popular and as engaging as it has always been. The bracket's a big part of that. When you start playing games soon after Selection Sunday, right now we're playing the first game in Dayton and first four less than 48 hours after the field is announced. Um, You know, if you if you were to expand by a big number, for example, it might very much impact that conference championship weekend or when selection Sunday is because you have the like the logistical operational challenge of getting teams from their campus to a site to practice to rest and to be ready to play in the national championship. So a lot to consider. But I do think the time is appropriate to to give it consideration. As you've probably heard me say, you know my ten plus years at the NCA. Now, there's never really been any serious consideration given by the committee to expand. Hasn't been any appetite. It's come up once or twice, but the conversation's been quite short. Okay. Um, but this is a little different time. I think it's going like, to take more more due diligence this time and more consideration. Um, and so they will, uh, but really, no, don't know what the outcome will be. And, hey, Dan, just
2: just remember, even...
1: just remember, just because. There's a million bowl games. Doesn't mean people give a, you know what, about a million bowl games. So, like, I, I hate how... There's the guy who doesn't really like college
2: like football. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, that, I, to yourself.
1: No, I just don't like how college basketball coaches are all like, well, look at the amount of teams that are, that, are, that are in a bowl game in college football. Like, just because they're doing it doesn't mean that's a good system. Like, I love the tournament for what it is. Actually, I really loved it at 64. I don't know about you, Rob.
2: I mean, I'm the 68 to me, the playing games are interesting on, I I think for the Tuesday and Wednesday, I I wanted to ask Dan, have you been surprised maybe by some of the public, I, I don't want to call it backlash, but maybe negativity to just the topic of expansion. I don't know
3: if I've been surprised, Robbie. I mean, I, I, you know, I think we've heard a lot of that from media members who follow the sport so closely. Like Jeff, yeah. Jeff,
2: Jeff maybe why I've heard so much negativity.
3: And and fans too, though. You know, I mean, I think, um, you know, the rhythm of the tournament is something that people enjoy and embrace right now. And I, I think one of the other underlying factors there too is that it, it's so competitive, right? Now, even first four, you know, we've had two number one seeds go down now. We have number two seeds, you know, that are on the ropes frequently. Like, there's magic to that, right? And and if you go too big, the opportunity for a lot of those early round games to be one-sided and not nearly as dramatic or interesting exists. Like, there's a sweet spot, I think. And I know coaches don't want to, you know, necessarily recognize that. I mean, on any given day, I guess someone can beat someone else. But the competitiveness – and the the uncertainty of it and the madness of it is because it's hard to get into. And those that get in are really good and can beat anybody on a given
2: day. Well, isn't that – that has to be a concern for you guys because the madness is what makes the NCAA tournament. I was the ball boy for Homer Drew growing up. The Bryce Drew shot to me is like one of the iconic moments of my childhood, you know, just seeing how that unfolded do you worry about maybe the health of mid-majors with the portal and with NIL? And we, we had a couple of mid-major coaches on last week and just hearing them talk about the concerns and the challenges they face, it's a real issue. So do you worry about maybe that level of madness and and the the level of play that gives us that madness?
3: I do. I mean, I think if you're following our sport, you, you have to, um, wonder, you know, where it's going to be in five, 10 years. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's why this is more complex than people make it out to be, because the other thing that the committee will consider and they talked about last week is, what's the impact on the regular season? Right. You know, because they, they are stewards of the game. And while their responsibility is just the month of March, you know, they they care about this the, the game from November through through March. And, you know, like, let's just take, for example, and I'm not saying this is even anything that would be, you know, uh, all that attractive right now. But let's say you had 96 teams in the field, right? And you're a high major. Why in the world would you play any tough games in November, December? Yeah. I mean, you they, you they, wouldn't they, even consider playing a tough game in November, December, because you're essentially going to know you're in as long as you finish in the top, you know, half or th- two thirds even of your league. And so what does that impact on the regular season? And, you know, we already – fight for relevance during the end of the football season in November and December. Um, you know, we've had the the, the benefit of MTEs and, and double headers and, you know, great events and uh, conference matchups that, that bring compelling games to college basketball in November, and December, you know, expansion and the tournament has some impact on that. Um, you know, the encouragement of playing those tougher games and non-conference right now helps to schedule those games and and if and if there's not the incentive to do that to help you get into the tournament or be be seated not sure what the unintended consequence of that could be
2: what's been the biggest difference as mark emmer now is is no longer the head of the ncaa to charlie baker coming in have you noticed anything from a college basketball standpoint with that
3: uh charlie's been great he's um he's really smart guy um he's very passionate um about this opportunity and what he thinks he can do to impact college sports, he is a former basketball player himself. You, you may recall he played at Harvard for a short time and uh, loves the game. Um, he's working on obviously bigger things than just basketball, and he, he's you know he loves all uh, championships and sports. Uh, but um, he you know he he does understand the game and and understands the importance of the game to the NCA and to college sports overall. So I think he'll be a good advocate, you know, for student-athletes first and foremost. He's very focused on on what benefits and, and what services can be provided to student-athletes. And I think he'll be an advocate for coaches as well. I'm a huge fan, huge
1: fan, obviously being here in Massachusetts. Um, did you vote for him? Well, I did not vote for him. I did not vote <laughs> for him, but I love him, love him. Seriously, I, I you know, you're not going to find too many better people than charlie baker like to me he he just can unite people and, and i think that's something that's important not just with with regards to whether it's college basketball college athletics just obviously where we're at in our country right now so i, I love charlie baker um spent some time with him at the final four and, and just a really good guy um who i think again you know what i i think the, the the benefit of having Charlie Baker is I think he's a really good listener. And I know he's been out a ton since he since he took the job. And just trying to get as much information as he can to be able to try to make some informed, you know, quality decisions. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. We know that. We gave Amard a hard time. Probably me more than anybody. I, I know it's a hard job. Uh, and I think Charlie's got an even tougher job.
4: Our partner for today's episode is Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 during the college basketball season, and I loved the impact that it had on my energy levels. I'm a big coffee-in-the-morning guy, but by the time that the afternoon would hit, I needed another boost. AG1 helped me tremendously, especially on those days when I didn't want to get up off the couch and go hit the gym. Their tagline is, AG1 is comprehensive health and the power of habit in one. And man, that could not Thanks.
1: These days, every new potential hire can feel like high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. I've used it plenty of times before. Uh, It is unbelievable uh, how easy it is, uh, how great it is to be able to get the right people in and, and do it quickly. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to and faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash good. That's linkedin.com slash good to post your job for free.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: So, one of the things we want to talk to you about while we had you was the NCAA uh, Academies coming up here in Memphis at the end of the month. The men uh will will play from the 24th to the 27th. Then you added the women, 28th through the 31st. Uh, you did this, I think it was 2019. That's right. And it was okay. I went, I went in stores. It was okay. Like I like the setup and everything, Dan. The biggest, obviously, the biggest criticism that people like me had was trying to get the high-end talent. Uh, explain to me kind of again, obviously it took some years off because of COVID, why you decided to do this again and how it's maybe going to have a little bit of a different look and feel to it this time.
3: Sure. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, i leave from Memphis tomorrow. I'll be there for the week. Uh, it's going to be a great week. Looking forward to it. You know, the idea behind this really is is to, more so than the play and the evaluation opportunity, is to engage directly with prospects and their parents. The NCAA is paying for the prospect's expenses to be there and one chaperone intended to be a parent um, or someone important in their life that helps them make decisions, make it better informed decisions. And it's a chance for the NCA, as well as our partners, USA Basketball, as well as working with the NBA and the MVPA to give direct information to prospects and their parents about what their future looks like, whether it's college basketball, or professional opportunities, what, um, what the recruiting process is like, how to be eligible to play college basketball, what the NIL opportunities are, frankly, and what the transfer portal means and doesn't mean. On the NBA and PA side, they talk about the, the odds of making the NBA and what it takes. And, you know, if you're a first round pick, a second round pick or undrafted. So really giving direct information to prospects and their family members about their future because it's so much more competitive now, right? With opportunities professionally at the high school level with OTE, G League night, professionals opportunities overseas. You know, we really feel like we need to have a small space. It's only four days for both men and then women, you know, to be able to share information directly with them at one point during their high school career, so that they can have the most informed direct information to make the best decision. Because it's important for college basketball. You know, we're we're we are fighting and recruiting against other great opportunities. But we think this one's really important and good in educationally from an athletic standpoint. Um, and you know, so that that's why this effort has come back into your question. You know, we the first time we did it, we did it regionally in four different regions, thinking that was the best way to, you know, kind of get at prospects. But what we found is with a lot of feedback from coaches, is it was hard to get around to different sites, so we're doing a one site right now um, in Memphis. So, and we've we've added a a, a team component to it. The USA, USA Basketball will run the U.S. Open Championship for U fifteen rising ninth graders and u uh, sixteen or ninth and tenth graders. Twenty four teams each um, that qualified in the spring in in different events. We've got teams from Under Armour, Adidas, Nike uh, independent tournaments. They qualified to be there. Uh, they're excited to be there. We think it will raise the talent level because there'll be more, you know, kind of high level teams that will come. And then there's also the individual component. If you didn't qualify as a member of a team. And we also have the Canada junior national team that will be part of the, uh, the Academy too. So we hope we've addressed a lot of the, um, you know, kind of questions and feedback we got around trying to attract the highest level talent um we'll find out better next week
2: what's going to be the the basketball breakdown is it you mentioned the classroom aspect of that and I think that's that's great um to have that but is it more instruction is it more playing games you mentioned there's an individual way in and a team way in are they are these guys staying with their teams or what what is the basketball setup just curious
3: sure sure great question so it's really just this time around games so whether you're playing in the U.S. Open Championship or playing in the individual college basketball academy, in that case, you'll be put on a team with players you don't know, right? Because you're coming from all over the country. We've got 40 different states and like, like eight different countries that are going to be there. Um, and they'll play two games a day. And, um, and then they'll also have the life skill sessions, which are actually mandatory if they want to get reimbursed for their travel expenses. Both the player and the chaperone have to attend. Because it's so central to the program that they get that information directly. Um, and, and so yeah, in the U.S. Open Championship, we'll have two games a day as well and determine a champion in both uh, age groups. And, um, you know, again, we think it's going to be a, a pretty cool evaluation opportunity for coaches and a great, uh, uh, you know, experience for the players.
1: I like the fact that it's it's got some teaching and learning. Because comp- I think that's one of the, the disconnects to some degree for a lot of these kids, when they transfer, like, I'll give you a great example right now. You know, you have the one-time transfer rule. And, and a lot of kids right now don't know whether they're going to get a waiver or not, whether they're, you know, eligible or what what that looks like. I think so many of these kids don't know who to reach out to in some ways, right? I'll get calls all the time from kids or AU coaches, and I'll just tell them, like, I, I don't know, They call the NCAA. They, they almost don't know who to call. And, and and you hope things like this can give him give them that that information where at least they feel comfortable. All right, here's the number. Here's who I got to call, and they'll point me in the right direction to get that question answered. Because again, sometimes there's so much uncertainty with these kids right now. Again, with the one time transfer waiver, you got coaches telling them, "Hey, go in the portal. You're going to be eligible." Then they go in the portal, and now they're looking at. The coach and like, am I going to be eligible or not? Like what I, I didn't get the real info. I don't know who to talk to.
3: Yes. I mean, that that's exactly right, Jeff. You know what? That's what we're trying to achieve here is a direct connection, real information, opportunity to follow up, you know, with NCA staff and, and have that information be available at a player's fingertips, or equally as importantly, for their parents. To, where to, know, to know where to go to get answers. Yep.
2: Well, this, this sounds like it's better than the Nike All-America Camp guys sleeping through the classroom times. Wow. That was huge. <laughs> yeah, that, that was huge, Rob.
1: Let, let's no, be honest. I was
2: locked in. I was, I was trying to <laughs> soak it up. Dan, there's so much change in college basketball. We, we have NIL, we've got the portal. We have college coaches who are not happy about the recruiting timelines that they have in the summer of being out so much. And on top of that, we've got COVID giving players an extra year of eligibility for another year or two years. Um, How do you feel the state of the game is? Do you feel like college basketball is in a healthy place?
3: I'd say from a management perspective for coaches and for institutions, it's, uh, it's shaky. I mean, it's, it's very disruptive right now. Um, I think, you know, if you didn't acknowledge that, you're you're not being candid enough. I mean, it's, there's just an awful lot going on right now and, and it is hard to manage, um, both from a personal and professional perspective. um, you know, I'm hopeful that over time it will find its level and, you know, there will be some, you know, some boundaries, some, some guidelines, some, you know, some more structure that can be brought to it for everybody's benefit, not just the coaches and administrators, but for the players too. Like, you know, cause I think so much about the players left behind, right. Uh, where transfer happens and there's still a team left at the departing institution that had hopes and dreams and what kind of impact is, you know, Some of their better players leave, leaving uh, have on on them as a team. So uh, it's a challenging time. I mean, and we we, we're we're listening. We hear it. You know, the NAVC is working on on potentially a proposal here to to alter the recruiting calendar to recognize that they, as coaches, and you guys have heard it probably even more than I have, have been working literally every single day and night since their season ended. Right. And because they have had to um, with transfer either in or out, um, trying to squeeze in a little evaluation at the high school level along the way. But here it is, you know, late, late July and and rosters are still just becoming finalized, you know, for the next year. So um, we're going to look at at the transfer window. Um, The council is and there's a proposal right now to shorten it from 60 days to 30 days. And maybe even adjust the timing of that as well around the tournament this year. Transfer window opened up the day after selection Sunday. Um, there is some feedback around teams that were in the tournament that that was disruptive and hard to manage. You know, in March while their team was still playing for national championship. So there's still you know things that can be determined and and maybe help Robbie with you know with that question and with that environment that is quite challenging to operate in right now, and hopefully with some more parameters, guideline, and some more experience around it. You know, in the coming years it'll it'll be a little bit more manageable. You know, another one I've heard
1: lately from a bunch of coaches is is the 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 rule that they can only work with. It's funny, you know, years ago it was they need more access to the, the kids in the summer. They got some. Now they want more because they're saying like our kids are sitting around all day. There's not other students and they want to work out. They want to work out yeah, more. That was the and right work.
2: play. The fact that the coaches couldn't work us out when I was in school was, it, it just drove players to go work out at places where you don't want players to be. I mean, that was the right call. And just to say that. as it, of And
1: the, even more, wouldn't you yeah, want more than four hours, Rob? If you're a player, like, again, yeah. you'd rather work with your coaches, and your coaches, in most cases, to me, would rather be working with their players than going out every day on the road recruiting you want to work with your current players more than you I, I assume the fear, I,
2: I assume the fear and dan can speak on this better than i can would be that you'll have a staff that says all right you know 20 hours this week or that it's like worse than than the season right because there is nothing else to do it's a
3: happy medium isn't no, there a yeah, happy medium? i think
2: you need to find the middle
3: right yeah and and we have to keep current you know that rule you know, Utah has been in place now for a number of years, you know, the, the four hours, the eight hours, you know, is that still the right number of hours? Yes. We have to be careful that not you no know, crazy, you know, crazy coaches won't start, you know, demanding 20, 24 hours, you know, in a week. But, you know, I don't know that four hours, eight hours is as relevant contemporary anymore, given what other opportunities they have. And frankly, you know, you guys remember may remember that just this spring, we were considering seriously whether to add an opportunity to play a couple of uh, exhibition or uh, scrimmage games in the summer yeah and and ultimately we put it on kind of hold for right now because of all the things we just talked about in the you know nil and, and transfer portal and everything else there's just so much to manage right now but you know what one of the biggest and in, in most interesting takeaways for me was 70 percent of players that we surveyed want to have an opportunity to play competitively in the summer um 70 I mean, percent Yeah, You know, like, because they realize, I think, that every other level of the game, whether it's, you know, high school level or or NBA summer league, you know, guys are having having an opportunity to play a little bit. And even if it just goes back to the summer league days of old, you know, like they get tired of playing against themselves, right, and want to have something to look forward to. And frankly, in this day and age with NIL and everything, you know, there may be an opportunity for exposure for them and, and financial opportunity in some way that doesn't exist because you, you can't, you know, have that kind of uh, exposure or competition in the summer. Now, again, we need to be careful. We, you know, I'm talking about adding a number of games, but the proposal was for two. And, you know, and it'd be like, like a couple of weeks. You you sound like you kind of like it, right? I do. I, I, I do. I think, you know, as I think about opportunities for players, uh, you know, marketing, promoting the game, college basketball basically goes dark from, the draft, because you get some glow in the draft, right, with so many college players that are in that process until preseason practice starts in September, October. Like it's just non existent. And yet we know that most every single player is on their college campus going to summer school, working out every day, having a good experience, but they're like lost and forgotten. And I think some small opportunity to tell their story, to tell the story, like, especially in light of all the roster changes that happen. I mean, how cool would it be to be able to see what's Purdue's team going to look like here, you know, for a weekend, you know, just for maybe late July or early August, like one or two games, they scrimmage somebody or, or play, you know, something to benefit charity or, or even just have, you know, something to do with the, with the Purdue community. How about you do a bid on the line? line. Hey Dan, how about we have a bid on the line or something, do something
1: seriously, do something really creative. I mean, it, Live. Talk about so up in the
2: from playing a random summer game to now Jeff wants to <laughs> get on the line. In That's the I only way I want why, why, why are you so anti this? You know, you go to Iowa and you still hear Iowa fans talk about the, the Iowa summer league, watching guys like B.J. Armstrong and Bobby Hanson and, and players from Northern Iowa and, and Drake, or even if you made it into a three-on-three deal and, and had. Yeah. What, what what is your issue with this, Jeff?
1: No, I I, I think you're right. Like. I don't have much of an issue with it. The only thing I would say is it's like, the, again, the haves and the have-nots, where the haves, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Kansases, are going to sell it out. They're going to get even more NIL, where, let's face it, like Boston College does something in the summer. Nobody's showing up. So I, I don't. I just don't know how fair, but I guess, listen, nothing's fair. Nothing's fair. So um, I, I just think it would be actually more thinking it through. It would be cool to do, like, some three-on-three deal um, because it would be different. Like, I just think if I'm looking at the same deal where you're playing everybody 20 minutes a game and it's – I'm going to the Bahamas in two weeks. I'm going to see, you know, Iowa State and Creighton and some of those teams over there. And I'm not, like, looking forward to watching them play. I'm looking forward to hitting the the Lazy River and playing Blackjack. That's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) Work trip, huh? Yeah, no, it's not a work trip. It is. It, it's it's a trip to to spend with my daughter, and the only way I'm getting her uh, somewhere is to make it fun. So um, that that's that's kind of what I'm doing there. Um, hey, Dan, here's one. You and I have talked about this forever, and you you kind of alluded to it earlier. Of uh taking away, if you expand the tournament, taking away some of these big November games my my thing has been and I've been banging this drum for for a while now like why can't we have one big boy game every especially Tuesday Wednesday Thursday I guess I don't know I mean I guess it's a Thursday football game but whatever the the days no you don't want to go up against Monday night football necessarily but other than that in November and even early December we're fine because you have some of the challenges. But yeah. every night in November, like, I want, like, two big boy games. Like, I don't want just one. I want two games where you're like, I have – and every team should kind of rotate having to play that. Maybe not every year. Maybe play one home one year. Then you take a year off. Then you Or, or maybe play road the next year. And then you're off for a couple of years. But there's like, I don't know, 40 programs that should be involved in this that should be mandated mandated now if you're on the hot seat maybe you get off that you don't have to play but I don't know I just think people got to think for the good of the game playing somebody early in the season
3: like this yeah you and I both are violently in agreement with that I mean I I think we're missing an opportunity you know we had the Champions Classic on opening night before it moved you know a week later this year and it sounds like it's going to stay there but even that was only just Tuesday night. It didn't, nothing really filled in on Wednesday or Thursday. And, you know, look, you know, give credit and compliment to the NBA. You know, when they start their season on Tuesday, they have a doubleheader Tuesday, another one on Wednesday, another one on Thursday. And so for fans, you know, it's a great way to start the season uh, with big time matchups and, uh, you know, great brands and and ESPN and, Warner Brothers Discovery did a great job covering those games. And, you know, we have more teams. There's no reason why we can't have similar opportunity, but – it's going to have to be a collaborative effort with coaches, with conferences, probably, and certainly with network partners. Um, I was going to say, is, is
1: it more on networks? Do you think, Dan? Like, yeah, I know you don't I want don't to point so. fingers. You think it's? I more don't coaches?
3: think so because no. I mean, they, they, they'll take a you know a, a good matchup any any night, especially without competition. You no, know, Tuesday and Wednesday night there's not much competition. Thursday has the Amazon NFL game, but you know, I I, I don't think it, that's it. I think it's I think it's more coaches, frankly. You know. Um, it's, sad. And, it's
1: sad to be honest like certain guys will do it and then there's other guys that just you know again like to me you know you, you got to be able to to understand what's good for the sport And and most of these coaches a lot of them let's face it they've got plenty of stability right now again the ones that don't I, I'm not going to go like hey that's your prerogative if you're on the hot seat something like that I get it but like Rick Patino this year or next year at St. John's, play somebody on November 7th or 8th, whatever that date's going to be, that Tuesday or Wednesday. Set it up. Play Richard. I don't care. Do something fun, something big that people are going to want to watch.
2: That's just what the fans of college hoops are They're waiting for. Be. All right, fine, fine, fine.
1: Play play Calipari. How's that? St. I John's, that, Kentucky. That,
2: that, that, I, I think that'd be good. I'd
1: watch that one, wouldn't you?
3: Yes, I would. I,
1: everybody would.
3: Getting back. Well, the, three the, yeah, we're, we're a bad, the three of us are going to watch any game. Yeah, we're probably a bad guy. The three of us are going to watch any game. And Robbie's probably going call on one of them.
2: So that, that is that is true. Dan, how do you see, and I know it's impossible to see into the future here, but, but as conference realignment kind of shows itself here and we get Oklahoma and Texas moving to the Big 12 and we get USC and UCLA coming to the Big 10, how does that impact the sport? How does that impact the NCAA tournament? And do you think this is just the tip of the iceberg here for more people to leave?
3: Yeah, I mean, long term, I don't think conference realignment is done. I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not making a prediction in that way, but you know, I, I used to work at the old Big East conference, and you know, conference realignment has been going on now for well over a decade, and I, I don't think it's it's done yet. Um, so. I, I do think it's a very good question. And um, honestly, in my mind, um, some of the consideration around expansion of the tournament has to take that into consideration. Or at least the selection seeding and bracketing criteria, because leagues that are of 16 teams rather than 10 or 12 teams present a different team profile, potentially. And you know, you use two really good examples of, you more, more often than not Texas and Oklahoma, USC and UCLA are NCAA tournament teams, right? Not every year, but more often than not. Right. And they're going into leagues where they already have an awful lot of NCAA tournament teams, like a third to a half of the league generally gets in. So what gives like, are are is is it going to be you know one team replaces another or if they're all good enough are you going to have more teams out of larger leagues just by the simple math of playing conference games you're likely going to have more teams that have a 500 or lower record in conference games only so what does that mean um there's nothing there's, there's no policy against taking teams with losing conference record right now. And we see it every year, frankly, Um, but we may see more of that in the future. We may see more quality teams with 500 or below records in conference play. So all that I think has to be taken into consideration, Robbie. It's a really good question. And it's been on my mind for some time. I'm not saying what the outcome of that is going to be, but I I think we need to continue to keep the tournament selection process relevant and contemporary to what is going on in college basketball and if if one of the things going on in college basketball is much larger leagues with more conference games the committee has to consider that again i'm not saying what it's going to consider but it's not going to be like it was five years ago five years from now so what does that mean in terms of how we select seed and bracket the field
1: hey dan i'm going to um I'm gonna channel my analytic nerd uh, deal here, uh, which I'm not. i'm I'm the furthest thing from an analytics guy. but in the spirit of Matt Norlander, uh, I'm gonna ask you, will you uh will you ever divulge the actual formula for the net? Like like I've actually thought about that. And again, for me to think about that is crazy because um I wouldn't know what to do if you gave me the formula. but but I do think it's interesting that a lot of people don't know, kind of what that formula is how the net's made up is there any thought of of kind of giving everybody the the secret sauce to the net
3: yeah well, i mean i guess yes because we're not, there's not there's no effort to be nothing short of transparent um the the complicating factor as it relates to the net is that there's not just a simple formula like the rpi you know it, the net was developed through artificial intelligence, which we're all learning an awful lot more about here uh, recently. And so, it—I'm it, not sure there's a simple way to, you know, to say, okay, here's the, you know, X, Y that makes up the the, the net. Uh, we could do, I think, admittedly, a better job of, you know, communicating what the components of the net are, what makes it up. Um, and and we're working on that, frankly. Um, because that kind of transparency and communication is really important to understanding what you know what the tools are that the committee uses. And it's just one tool, but it's not an insignificant one. And we recognize that. And uh like, but again, like the, the
1: efficiency, like Dan. Yeah. Like I know you guys have the scoring margin capped at 10, but
3: we don't anymore.
1: No, don't we don't more. More. no. So nothing's capped.
2: So no, that's why you'll see
1: teams running it up, like especially at all times during the year. But like if you've got a chance in a bye game to put in your walk-ons at the end of the game, you're up 40 for the last four, three, four, five minutes, whatever it is, or keep your your starters or somebody in there, it's more advantageous for you to keep your starters in there and win by 40 and also get your your efficiency numbers uh even better, correct?
3: Not necessarily, but but coaches do believe that. And I'm not, you know, that's just the reality of it because they're concerned about putting their team in the best position to be, you know, selected and seeded for the tournament. But it's a net efficiency number. So, you know, it it, it depends on what your, you know, points per possession is offensively and points per possession defensively. So it's, and there's diminishing returns too in, in the scoring margin, significant diminishing returns. And it's also corrected for quality of opponent so if you're running a uh the score on on a you know a team that's ranked 300 it doesn't have nearly the kind of impact as if you're you know winning by a large margin off, off a team that's in the top 30 than that so you know again one of those things we probably could do a better job of communicating about because there's there is kind of a misunderstanding about the impact of you know scoring and margin and all but and efficiency is only essentially Half of the formula, the other half is results oriented only. And it doesn't matter what the score of the game is or what the efficiency is. It's who'd you play, where'd you play, and how'd you do? Perfect. It's,
2: it's amazing how sensitive we all got in the United States about like point differential, whereas overseas in pro games, point differential matters. And you could be up 20 and you're trying to score at the end because you you know it will matter down the line. And I, I get the sportsmanship aspect of it, but here it's like such a taboo thing to do. And over there, it's just, it's normal. It's normal to do that. Hummel loves running it up. I, yes. He would do it on me. I mean, listen. I would.
1: If, if it was Hummel <laughs> versus me in one-on-one, he'd try to beat me by a hundred, dead. But I don't think he can anymore. I think he could have pre-injury. Now, if you've seen him jump,
2: I, you listen. I think I could hang with Humble these days. Jeff things. didn't even play high school basketball, and he's making these claims. Doesn't
1: matter. I still think I could. I can fight you. You're soft. The question
2: is, why does Robbie
3: need to jump to beat you by? That,
2: that's a great question, Dan. If you can shoot, you don't need to jump. And luckily, Jeff, I still can shoot. I can.
3: Still All right. With
1: with that, we're gonna we're gonna let Dan get out here so he doesn't have to deal with our banter. Uh, Dan Gavin, we appreciate you taking some time. Uh, in the summer, enjoy the rest of your your off season if you have one here, and uh, hope to see you soon, Rob. Always good seeing you. Enjoy the the TNT, uh, I almost said T N T games, T B T games. Uh, I'll be watching you, and uh, don't work too hard.